This is the Winning Plays Podcast on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider for the NBA's winningest franchise. NBA by the Sports Hub, and what an afternoon we have for you. It is Tim McCone joined by our own Ryan Robb, also of Mass Live, one of the best Celtics writers out there. And for the next two hours, we have an NBA free agency special for you right here on 98.5 The Sports Hub. So if you want to jump in and you have any questions about potential moves or moves that have already been made, not only with the Celtics, but across the NBA, now is the time to jump in. 617-779-0985 is the telephone number. Uh, B-Rob, been an interesting uh, 72 hours or so uh, across the whole NBA. Uh, Lots of things we want to get to, whether that's the Kevin Durant drama, the Kyrie Irving drama, uh, whether that's Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, Do we have enough time here, Tim? The, the, Rudy, the Rudy Gobert uh, disaster, at least I think, for, <laughs> for Minnesota. We'll get into that. And, and obviously uh, a couple moves already by the Celtics. Obviously, we're going to start with the Sam Hauser story. No, I'm kidding. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon going to the Boston Celtics. Uh, uh, a, a bombshell, honestly. And I don't think that's an overreaction yesterday because when you kind of looked at across the landscape of the league, Right now, what do you think is probably the second biggest name to move so far this offseason? I'm not saying he's going to wind up that way, but you're talking about a guy that legitimately averages 20 points a game, shoots the hell out of the basketball, good defender, and the Celtics not only acquire him, but acquire him without giving away one of their, what, eight rotation players on top of it? So your initial thoughts when this trade first went down? I feel like, Tim, when we, with this trade, if I brought this up to you as a trade proposal, like, say, last week we're talking about possibilities, you would have laughed me out of the room. Be like, yeah, yeah, so here, here's what the Suns are going to do here. They're going to take Daniel Tice. They're going to take Aaron Neesmith. They're going to take three deep bench guys and, and a first-round pick, and that's going to get a Malcolm Brogdon. Be like, huh, yeah, good luck with your fake trades. It's unbelievable. But then it happened. It, it, it happened, and now the Celtics, uh, obviously, uh, the depth on, on this team is absolutely ridiculous. So I want to get into kind of what that means for them. But quickly, for, for player, people that aren't necessarily familiar with this player, uh, B-Rob, what are the Celtics actually getting in Malcolm Brogdon? I know that he looks at Chris Sale and thinks that Chris Sale is an Iron Man when it comes to staying on the field or, or on the court right now. He's missed at least 16 games every season uh, since his rookie year. So durability, not exactly a strength. But when you're talking about question marks uh, about his game overall, it feels like that's pretty much the only one. Pretty much. I mean, defensively, he's has some. He's not going to blow anyone away there from that standpoint in terms of what he's able to do. But he holds his own. But there's no question the offensive end of the floor is where he does the most of his damage. And he was essentially the number one option for the Pacers for a lot of last year. Him and Sabonis, when he was still there, kind of switched off in that department. But whether he was with the Bucks or in Indiana, he's someone who can create for himself. He can create well for his teammates. And I think it's a, it's a true combo guard from the standpoint, Tim, that he sh- you can play him and he, he's a dead-eye three-point shooter. So if you want to play him off the ball, if you want to have Marcus Smart kind of run the show and have him be there to catch and shoot in the corner, he's lethal at that. But if you want him in there to be the playmaker himself and someone who's going to be able to set up the teammates, that's there for him too. So the ability to do those two things, it's hard to find that in point guards, who guys who can do that efficiently. And he's someone who certainly checks the box in both those departments. All right, so you're talking about a Boston Celtics team that was two wins away from an NBA championship, uh, a team that, again, is returning uh, you know, their eight main rotation players from last season, 
and has now added two pieces in Danilo Gallinari, who we'll get into in just a little bit, and Malcolm Brogdon. So when you look across the landscape of the Eastern Conference as it currently is right now, we all know it's going to change here with what goes on in Brooklyn and and where Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving wind up. But how do the Celtics in your mind stack up in the conference and really across the rest of the NBA now that they've added Malcolm Brogdon? In the Eastern Conference, this is all dependent on where Kevin Durant lands, but you have to consider them the favorites right now. Because even with Milwaukee getting fully healthy, all they've done is added Joe Ingles, who, which is great, but he's coming off a torn ACL. Mm-hmm. And so who knows what you're going to get out of him this year. Other teams around the East just really haven't done much to improve what they have. Yeah. And so and a few of those teams have, have lost guys. So when you look at the Celtics being able to bring everyone back and bring in Brogdon and bring in Gallinari without taking away anything from their court. And honestly, still have room to add with these trade exceptions, with these future first round picks. We'll get to those later. Yeah. But it's a situation there where I I don't I think they might be the deepest team in the NBA right now, period. Yeah, you know what? When this trade first went down, B-Rob, I initially go back to 2019 and kind of the, the talent that the Celtics acquired at that point and going into that uh, season thinking, oh, my God, this team is absolutely loaded from a talent perspective. And you're talking about a team that we thought was 10 deep, right? Because you're bringing in, you know, not only Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward at the time, both coming back from injury, but that core that brought you to the Eastern Conference Finals without them. You know, you have Terry Rozier all of a sudden, who, who was uh, obviously a key contributor in 2018 coming off the bench. You just looked at the depth and you said, absolutely ridiculous. This team is loaded. It didn't work out that way no. in 2019. And it felt like there were probably too many uh, cooks in the kitchen that season. Probably needed to move some of those pieces at the deadline. I look at this team right now, though, and you're looking at a team that suddenly has, what, 10 players that could play big minutes, relatively big minutes for you. But more importantly, I think a lot of these pieces fit Mm B-Rob. And even if they don't, I think the one thing that you can fall back on is the last deadline for the Boston Celtics and what Brad Stevens did with shipping out a couple pieces that, you know, I think Danny Ainge probably would have held on to. So, you know, if some of these don't wind up fitting, I think Brad Stevens has shown that he is not shy about moving off of them. But more importantly, I think that they've done a tremendous job at identifying guys that kind of fit what they do. I mean, like Malcolm Brogdon <laughs> shooting over 40% from three on catch and shoot threes, which is what he's probably primarily going to be asked to do. That's a huge addition. And when you look at why they kind of fell short, a big reason why was they didn't have that wing to go along with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum to kind of rely on. Celtics have gone out and addressed that, and early on, might I add, in the offseason. So far, I think it's been a home run for Stevens. It has. And the one other big difference, you brought up 2019 there, Tim. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the one other big difference of this core group versus what that the troubles that group had together was everyone here is essentially on a long-term contract. The guys I brought in, Brogdon, you're trading for him. He's here for three more years. Gallinari got a two-year deal. It's a player option in year two, but he's someone who's just chasing a ring at this point in his career. Brogdon as well is has gotten paid. So now he's not working and worried about making a name for himself or heading into a contract year. He's just seeing, okay, this team was two games short of winning an NBA Finals, and I can probably fill the gaps there in a bunch of different parts of the team's play to, to get them over the hump. So when you have everyone there, coming in, buying into the what Ime Adoka was clearly selling this group well last season. Yeah. That's I think is a huge exciting part for 
what they're trying to put together right now. There's another big difference, too. Kyrie Irving's not on the roster anymore, here, Rob. Right? And, and he's so, available, though, Tim. He's available. <laughs> yeah, certainly. So maybe we'll get into that, too. Uh, is Kyrie Irving going to make a return to Boston? 617-779-0985. No, I can think we safely say that Kyrie Irving is not going to Boston. Where he winds up, I think, is going to be absolutely fascinating. And like you mentioned, there is a huge shoe to drop in the NBA, and that is where is Kevin Durant going to wind up? Celtics still rumored to potentially be in the mix a little bit, I guess. We'll get into kind of that. What would it take if you were going to land Kevin Durant? Would B-Rob actually want Durant here? Would he pull the trigger on that deal? We'll get into that. Plus, we're going to break down some moves across the rest of the NBA. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon, certainly a major, major piece to move. He wasn't the only one, though. Rudy Gobert going from Utah to Minnesota for about a million picks in Danny Ainge. Uh, doesn't look like he is going to be done anytime soon in Utah with that fire sale that's going on too. So could Donovan Mitchell potentially be out the door and what would the landing spot there be for him as well? Get into all that more on this free agency special here on 98.5 The Sports Up. Let's talk about bet online. <laughs> the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with first to market odds and lines. You can find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports info with live in-game betting, props, and futures. Head on to BetOnline today. Use your device to join to make your first sports bet. Use the promo code CONS50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. Relatable, reliable, and even relentless at times. This is Boston's home for sports. 98.5 The Sports Hub. The Boston Celtics uh, adding Malcolm Brogdon yesterday, a guy that averaged 19 points a game, five rebounds, six assists. And it feels like we're still waiting for another shoe to drop here uh, as the Kevin Durant rumors are still out there. I'll tell you what, too. I was talking with McCarthy about this uh, a couple weeks ago. And, you know, in like the early 2000s, and we were like, for me at least, in like middle school and high school and stuff like that. It was all about the MLB offseason and the hot stove when it came to, like, what the Red Sox and Yankees were going to do. B-Rob, there is no other sport right now that touches the NBA when it comes to offseason rumors, movement, everything. It's unbelievable uh, just the storylines that are going on uh, across the league right now. And it gets crazier by the year. It really does. You think about the last five or ten years of NBA free agency, there's been a lot of crazy stuff that went down going back to LeBron back in yep. you know 2010. But now the the swings of the fact that like, oh yeah, Durant's going to demand a trade three hours before free agency starts. And that's still, you're still going to have like five other crazy moves on top of that within the first 36 hours of the free agency period. It's nuts. And I think other leagues could learn a lot from it. Major League Baseball in specifically. Um, but it's something where the, the player movement around the league right now, it's been kind of pushing in this direction, Tim. And now it seems like the front offices are embracing it even more and just getting crazier of the, the kind of deals they're going after. 
Uh, how about this? And this was, uh, I heard this, I think it was on uh, Ryan Rosillo's podcast uh, the other day, and they were just talking about the player movement across the league right now. You go back to the 2017-18 first team All-NBA, LeBron James with the Cavs, Kevin Durant with the Warriors, Anthony Davis with the Pelicans, James Harden with the Rockets, Lillard with the Blazers. But you can go even further. The second team, it was Aldridge, uh, DeRozan, Westbrook. Westbrook's moved teams about 47 times since this happened, right? But Paul George moved, Jimmy Butler's moved, uh, Oladipo. I, I just, it's crazy. But when you look at the first team and the elite of the elite players, I mean, it's no longer are these franchises holding on to these guys for extended amounts of time. Like you said, you know, I remember when we first met doing Celtics at seven, and like, this is what, like six, seven years ago, and we're talking about, you know, a big move usually happens once a year, once every 18 months. You look at the Nets. I mean, they uh, James Harden was there for about seven minutes. They traded him to uh, they, they traded for him, then traded him, and now Kyrie and Durant are both out the door. It's it's unbelievable the player movement right now across the league, and, and it's not slowing down at all. Kevin Durant, the next uh, big shoe to drop, he's requested a trade. Uh, things not exactly working out in Brooklyn the way that I think they thought would, uh, it was going to go down. What it was sixteen combined games, I think, for the big three, and then forty four total for Durant and Kyrie in three years, or something ridiculous like that. So, uh, not exactly getting your money's worth there. Um, where do you think the most realistic landing spots for Kevin Durant are right now, B Rob? Realistically, you're looking at. I mean, anywhere he prefers to go is probably the top of the list because. Yes, he's under contract for four more years, but we've already seen now, like, that means nothing. Right. Like, this is this is literally the, the telltale sign of it. It's such a good point, by the way, because I remember with the, with the Anthony Davis trade, everyone was saying, wow, this guy's trying to force his way out. He's got a year plus left on his deal. Kevin Durant's extension hasn't even kicked, right? The four no. years left on his deal. It and starts already, now. It literally it's started un- yesterday. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. So, You're absolutely I mean, right. and from that standpoint, I mean, you, you can't blame Durant Floyd because you, you look around what's him, what's how the last two years have gone. Oh, dumpster like, this fire. Is, yeah. This is an absolute mess. Um, so, from but but from that standpoint, like, he's certainly a player that I want to have given his track record. Like, you want to have assurances that he's not going to pull the same thing on you in a year or two if you're going to give up the farm for him. So, you start with places like Phoenix, Miami. Those type of deals are super complicated for salary matching reasons, for contract issues. And so that's going to get really complicated if either of those teams get heavily involved there. So to me, I look around the league, I look at like wild card teams. I know Toronto's been brought up a couple of times. They just have like the young, proven talent and enough of those guys that right away would, you know, potentially be the best offer the Nets could get. But I don't know if I make that deal if I'm Toronto, unless I have a conversation with Durant, be like, hey, we have the pieces in place here for you. Can you give us at least a couple years here? Like you saw what we did with Kawhi. Can we can make that kind of magic with you here? And so like teams like that, teams like I think the Nuggets too have enough intriguing young talent there to make a compelling argument. I mean, offer with the picks. And then of course the, the Celtics are still in this conversation despite all these moves until we we hear otherwise. Yeah, you know, that's the fascinating uh, thing when you kind of look at what the Nets are going to be looking for here. And, you know, if you're moving a guy like Kevin Durant right now, uh, obviously you're going to want some picks here, but you're also going to want an established player back as well. And so if you're talking about trade packages that teams are going to put together, it's such a good point by you too, because I was kind of looking at it and you're right. Toronto, no doubt is a sleeper team here. You could offer Scotty Barnes. Who's uh, going into his second year, had a great rookie year, uh, top five pick. 
uh, Pascal Siakam. You have enough assets probably to swing that deal. But again, you're talking about a guy that is asking out of his current situation with four years left on his deal. If he doesn't want to be in Toronto and you trade all those assets for a guy that doesn't want to be there anymore, I'm not sure how you could pull that deal off. And the same thing probably goes for the Celtics. Like I think you would want, obviously, assurances from Kevin Durant before you were going to pull the trigger on a deal. But if you really wanted to do it, Jalen Brown is a piece that certainly is going to be hard for anybody else across the league to match. The latest on this coming out today from Michael uh, Scoto over at Hoopsite. He writes on the uh, Kevin Durant stuff, specifically about the Celtics. He said, if Boston wanted to make a run at Durant, the Celtics could theoretically try and entice the Nets with a package around Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart. Uh, obviously, the 2023 first-round pick is uh, out the door there, B-Rob. But do you think a Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart package is something that the Nets would be enticed by if the Celtics were to offer it up? And the second question there, obviously, is would the Celtics actually offer up that package? The Those are connected. I think the situation where Jalen Brown, he's probably going to be one of the best proven guys that the Nets could conceivably get. Mm-hmm. And so that's a situation where whether the Celtics are willing to go there remains to be seen. Like every team is going to be having these conversations. There's no, like Kevin Durant is just on a, on a level where no one says like, Oh no, we're, we're, we're better off of what we have. Right. Like, we don't even have, we don't want to have that talk. Like, but whether it goes further than that or not is the bigger question. And so with a guy like Jalen Brown, if you're the Celtics, you want to, he's under contract for two more years. You'd want to have a conversation with him being like, okay, we know you can't sign an extension now. We like, and this is a conversation we're going to have off the record here, but like, do you foresee yourself signing a max in a couple years of us? If the answer is yes, then that decision becomes a lot tougher for the Celtics. But if the answer is like, ah, oh, we'll see where we are in two years. Like I, I can't really make any promises here. Then you have to look harder at it. And if Durant sends signs, I think everything starts with Durant here in terms of like, what kind of message is, are you getting is from his camp? Because any team that's going to trade for him, they're going to do their due diligence and they're going to find out whether the Nets give permission for him to talk to other teams or whether they just, you know, talk to people behind the scenes. They're going to know or not, like whether you're on his list or not. And so once the Celtics figure that out, then that, then they can move into the next stage and figure out how far are they willing to go here. But I will say this though, Tim, what the Celtics have done in the last couple of days makes life easier for them because you can make a pretty good case for yourself either way right now that like you're pretty much, I think you're going to be co-contenders no matter what happens Mm -hmm. with the Durant situation when, when this off season is done, no matter where he goes based on what you've done. You know, you look at kind of the landscape across the league and I think you're right. The Celtics have set themselves up here in a situation where obviously if the Durant thing happens to play out, you're right. But if it doesn't and you kind of roll with what you have, you're still one of the elite teams, if not the elite team uh, in the Eastern Conference. Do you think Durant ultimately winds up getting moved this offseason? Do you think there's any chance that the Nets <laughs> just say, you know what, <laughs> we have you locked up for four years here. We're, we're all set. Right. I consider it based on the offers. Like yeah. If the offers aren't there, if you're not getting uh, a Scotty Barnes or a Jalen Brown or even like people throw out like a DeAndre Ayton with like, you know, I want more than a DeAndre Ayton. Like DeAndre Ayton's like a fine player. Is he going to be a number one or a number two on a title tamer? I'd say no. Yeah. So I would want, I'm holding out for something like that because it makes no sense for the Nets to tank. They've traded away their next five first round picks 
to the Houston Rockets for coach. So if it's like, I, f- I feel like we've, I feel like we've heard about this before, right? I feel like the Nets have been down this, this, this road before, been, huh? Yeah, right. Unbelievable. You, you think you learn your lessons, yeah. and so that is a situation now where it's like, it. Yes, you. They're gonna want draft picks in any deal for Durant, but they also are gonna want more proven talent than draft picks. So that's to me, that is what this deal comes down to. And maybe you say, hey, we're gonna get, we're gonna deal Kyrie away to like L.A. We're going to get swing back for him. We're going to make some other moves around the fringes. And, Kevin, if you want to stay home for a little bit, that's fine. But guess what? You're under contract for four years here. We have some intriguing pieces for you. Why don't you come back? I Honestly, I don't think it would work. I think that's something that would just drag it on. But it may improve the offers because some teams may be willing to offer more if they aren't you know, g- going to go so far when – in an offseason, everyone's optimistic about what they have on their roster. Yeah, it is crazy, and it's one of the things, though, that I think kind of gives you pause when you look at these blockbuster deals, B-Rob, because like you mentioned, you know, things have changed so quickly across the NBA when you're talking about giving up the amount of picks that you are, and let's say the Celtics decide to pull the trigger on a Kevin Durant-type situation. That's going to wind up being Jalen Brown, uh, some picks, and some pick swaps in the future. And then Durant a year from now, because you didn't talk to him and reach out and figure out how he wants to be, wants, suddenly wants out. And now all of a sudden you're a franchise that's kind of directionless without that superstar and you don't have your picks, you're kind of screwed, right? And so, yeah, I think when it comes to, you know, roster building and then also making sure that you're comfortable with where your superstar is in terms of if he actually wants to be with your organization long term is wildly important because you're seeing it now with the Nets, like, yeah, you, you're going to be able to flip some of these guys for assets, but when you start trading away five first-round picks for James Harden and he's out the door, what, what are the last 10 months, eight months, or something like that? That's, wild. That's a franchise killer. Absolute franchise killer for your future. No, no doubt about that. Um, other question, another shoe to drop with the Kyrie Irving stuff. There were rumors floating out there originally that maybe he would decline the player option. Uh, you know, he's a different dude, so he decided to pick it up, right? What did he say? Uh, I, f- I forget what the tweet <laughs> was. Uh, but, yeah, generally I feel like uh, if you're picking up the $37 million uh, option, uh, you're not exactly doing things different. Uh, I'll, I'll try to pull that that tweet up. But how do you think that situation plays out? Do you think he winds up in Brooklyn for this year, or do you think he's also going to ultimately be out the door and on the move? He's got to be out the door. Yeah. I can't – If if ownership – like after what they saw over the last two or three years where Kyrie has come in year one when Durant was hurt, he, they brought in Deandre Jordan on like a bad deal. They got mad when he was playing over Jared Allen and pretty much forced their coach, Kenny Atkinson to be fired. Year two, they bring in Steve Nash. Kyrie's still hurt. They bring in Harden. They make a run, but obviously the pieces weren't together there. And now we all know what happened this past season. It's an, been an absolute mess. When you look at that in itself, much less what Kyrie's like said it to the media, like about like saying like, yeah, I'm running the show of this team essentially after he's blown up the team with these moves and with his, you know, decisions the last couple of years. I can't imagine them in any scenario bringing him back for more years. So it's it may be an, again a waiting game for them in terms of do you swallow hard and say okay. We'll take Russell Westbrook and some draft picks from oh, the Lakers gosh. and just like I I know I can't see yeah. like that's literally like just as bad as keeping Kyrie at home I feel like mm-hmm. so the question is is anyone else going to step up to the plate because outside of like a monster blockbuster deal where some teams saying yeah we'll take Durant and we'll take Kyrie off your hands too I don't know what else 
what other team jumps up to the, the plate here and, and takes them off their hands. It's such a balancing act in the NBA when you look at kind of, you know, trying to keep your superstars happy, but also not letting them run your organization. I feel like the way that Brooklyn did over the last few years, because you look at kind of the, the shape that that organization's in right now. And man, that is, uh, that is not exactly enviable for what's about to go down here over the next few months. All right, 617-779-0985, the telephone number. I had to get to that Durant stuff. Uh, back to the Celtics uh, after this, too, because you know what? Malcolm Brogdon, not the only move Boston made yesterday. We'll get into that. On the other side, it's Tim McCone. Brian Robbie here with you on this NBA free agency special on 98.5 The Sports Hub. Boston's home for sports. 98.5 The Sports Hub. We've got Boston sports cover coming and going. 98.5 The Sports Hub. All right, Tim McCall, Brian Robb here with you. 98.5 The Sports Hub, NBA free agency special on this Saturday and plenty to get to. I want to get to some of the moves across the rest of the NBA coming up here in just a bit. But, uh, B-Rob, back to the Celtics here for now. Uh, We touched on the Malcolm Brogdon move, uh, but Boston also pulling the trigger uh, on another deal uh, yesterday, reaching agreement uh, on a contract with Danilo Gallinari. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about that player and what he's going to bring to the table for Boston? Yeah, this is a a big upgrade to the offense, I think, with Gallinari. Someone, he's getting to the tail end of his career. He's at 34 years old, but the good news here for the Celtics is that he picked you over other teams that are offering more money. So this kind of shows you right now, Tim, where do they stand in the, the, player hierarchy around the player hierarchy around the league? Because you could look at what they did injuries-wise, benefiting from that on the way to the NBA Finals, but it's clear that people are buying into what they're doing or buying into them over other potential playoff teams in the East, like the Chicago Bulls here in this instance with Gallinari. But he's a sharpshooting stretch for... And the question I have, I mean, you've, you've seen him a lot over the years. It's like, how well is he going to hold up defensively? But they might have the, enough weapons here just to hide him on that. Standpoint. Absolutely, right? Uh, that's definitely the strength of Boston. Uh, and I think you bring up a good point. Like, to me, the two question marks coming into this offseason for Boston uh, in terms of their approach and, and how things were going to shake out were, number one, was ownership going to be willing to pay? You, know, you saw what Golden State paid for an NBA championship. What was it, over $300 million uh, when, when all, all in with the tax and everything like that? They answered that question with the Malcolm Brogdon contract so far. And the second thing, and, and it's a great point by you, was how attractive is Boston going to be for free agents moving forward? And you go back to that series against the Nets two years ago, right, when Durant and Kyrie are up there and they're kind of talking crap about Boston and you're going uh, – not only are you getting drubbed by Brooklyn here, but also not exactly a destination city at the time for free agents. No. And it feels like this run, although you come up short in the finals, has kind of changed the perception. Like you said, you were able to land Gallinari, and now the fact of the matter is, too, you've got an ownership group here that looks like, based on these two moves yesterday, they're willing to spend, uh, which is big for Boston moving forward as well. It's huge. And with Gallinari, you're bringing him in, you're not even bringing him into – you're bringing him into your, your eighth or ninth man, mm-hmm. which is something he's never been in his entire career. He's been starting for the vast majority of his career, and in Atlanta they had a lot of young talent there, but he was playing you know, 25 to 30 minutes a game. The Celtics aren't going to need him to do that much. Like, he's going to be there. He's going to allow for nights off for Al Horford or Jason Tatum here or there, and you can throw him into that role 
and not fall off a cliff offensively, which is important for this group given how much they fell out of ga- you know, ran out of gas in the NBA Finals, I feel like. But on top of that, Gallinari is just a guy, I think he's just going to be the best shooter on the team, the best pure shooter on the team who can, at his height, can pretty much shoot over anyone on the court. And we've seen many times in the last two or three years him just completely shoot the lights out, even with contests in his face. And so now he's not going to have to worry about that because the best defenders on other teams, they're going to be dealing with Jason Tatum. They're going to be dealing with Jalen Brown. They're going to be dealing with like a Malcolm Brogdon type, which you can't you know forget about in the corner. And so Gallinari is going to have whatever big let is left over on him stretching out the floor there. And I think that's going to really unlock unlock a, a better part of this offense. When you look at the Celtics falling short in the finals to you, not only in that series, but just across that whole playoff run, what were the biggest needs that the Celtics needed to address going into the offseason? Do you think these two moves that they've made so far have kind of addressed that? I, I do. It's, it was the offense. If they played decent offense, Michael, not even like top of the league offense that we saw in the second half of the regular season, if they played, if they held onto the ball. <laughs> if they could they, dribble. They, they, yeah. If they could dribble. Yeah. And if they could get, you know, not dribble into like two or three guys every time down the court as the Warriors are waiting for them, they probably win that series. These are two guys in Brogdon and Gallinari that will help in that department. Gallinari, especially, very low turnover player. Like, literally one of the lowest turnover rates in the league, period. He doesn't handle the ball a ton, but he can in the mid post if they need him to. So, having guys like that in play here that are A, going to stretch the floor more, so teams aren't going to be able to, you know, bunch up in the paint and not pay for it like the, the Warriors were able to do in the finals. And then on top of it, just have guys that can create and give, take some of the onus off Tatum and Brown that clearly was not there throughout the entire second, third, and NBA finals. You know, I think the red flag with Gallinari is the same thing that you're seeing with Brogdon, right? And it's a guy that throughout his career has had trouble staying healthy. But I think one of the benefits here uh, for Boston is you look at the roster and the depth there, you're not going to be running these guys into the ground like I feel like some of these other teams have been forced to do just because of a lack of depth here. And if you can kind of keep the mileage down throughout the season on both of these players, you're getting really, really efficient, good basketball players to kind of round out this rotation. And, man, the depth there, if both of those guys, like you mentioned, for Boston is scary. And normally I think, you know, when you look at the NBA and teams that are successful, it's usually that top-level, top-end talent. But I think Boston has that, obviously, with Jason Tatum. Jalen Brown's an all-star. And now some of these other pieces filling out this roster – it just it it fits. It makes a lot of sense defensively. I know Gallinari doesn't bring a lot, but like you said, there's enough other there are enough uh, pieces across the rest of the roster where you can kind of hide him and Brogdon. Uh, you're not exactly losing a ton defensively by bringing him in either. It's a guy that's able to switch, multiple play, uh, you know, defend multiple positions. I just think that I give Brad Stevens a ton of credit, a ton of credit so far for this offseason because uh, coming in with that trade exception. Uh, and obviously the mid-level, I think he's done a, a hell of a job so far for the Celtics. And, and really, you know, we're still waiting for this Durant thing to drop. But so far, I, I don't know how you could have played this offseason better if you're Brad Stevens. No, they're doing, like, you come into the offseason, Tim, and you're like, yeah, we'd like to add to this core without, you know, messing with what's going on. It's like, okay, well, that's a lot easier said than done. Mm-hmm. But they've done it. <laughs> I think they've yeah. literally they put it together. And it was a situation where, a lot of it, I think, is the perfect storm with the Pacers where you are you have 
there, there probably wasn't much of a, a market for Brogdon right now for a big contract like that. And the Celtics ownership's in a spot coming off of a deep playoff run where filling the garden, those extra five, 10, you know, nights, th- those ticket prices add up. And it's nice to see them taking that and putting it back into the team right now and putting together a contender that I'd say on paper, you could put up against anyone in either conference because you look at the Warriors too now, like they, they've lost some bodies here. Yeah. Like I know they got DiVincenzo, but losing Gary Payton and Otto Porter, those are pretty key parts of those teams. So it's certainly tough to see any team that's really taken a step forward on the contending front this offseason, like the Celtics have to this point. Yeah, I want to go through the East with you right now and how you think this whole thing stacks up. And again, we're taking that with a grain of salt because this Durant-Kyrie situation could totally blow things up, but where uh, the rest of them stack up. But I really want to get to some of the moves right now across the rest of the NBA. Uh, Danny Ainge has certainly been active out there in Utah. A, a monster piece getting moved yesterday, and he might not be done either. Donovan Mitchell could soon be on the move there uh, in Utah as well. want to get your thoughts on those, how all those teams did, and then some of the other moves across the league as well. As you mentioned, uh, Golden State losing some pieces as well. That's next on the NBA Free Agency Special here on 98.5 The Sports Hub. It's Tim McCone, Brian Robb here with you until 4 o'clock. Boston's home for sports. 98.5 The Sports Hub. When the games are on, this is where you can talk about them. 98.5 The Sports Hub. Matt McCarthy getting all hot and bothered as he listens uh, to 98.5 right now. 617-779-0985, the telephone number. So you guys lined up. We're going to get to your phone calls here in, in uh, just a couple minutes. But first, want to get B-Rob's uh, thoughts here on some of the bigger moves across the uh, rest of the NBA that have gone down so far in free agency. And obviously this wasn't free agency, but a trade. And the biggest piece to move so far, and I keep refreshing Twitter to make sure that we don't have an update on Durant or Kyrie Irving or anything like that, but it's Rudy Gobert uh, getting shipped by Danny Ainge from Utah to the Timberwolves. And it feels like Danny Ainge fleecing uh, Minnesota yet again. We saw him do that with the Kevin Garnett deal. Uh, and in this one, to me, B-Rob at least, uh, feels like he is getting the better of Minnesota again. As Gobert, certainly the biggest name in this trade, goes to Minnesota. But coming back... Malik Beasley, Patrick Beverly, uh, Leandro Balmaro, uh, four first-rounders, and Walker Kessler. Walker Kessler is the big out of Auburn. Uh, so really you're talking about five first-round picks, essentially, for Rudy Gobert, who makes a ton of money. Uh, so Utah moving away from one of their franchise players, but they're getting back five first-round picks in return. What do you think of that trade for both of those organizations, B-Rob? Bravo, Danny Ainge. Thank you. I just Bravo. wanted to make sure we're on the same page there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think he nailed it, right? It's it's a situation where, for years, we've always known, especially in recent years, the Celtics don't like to pay big money to centers. And so Danny Ainge goes out to Utah after he, you know, retires here and sees a roster that keeps falling short in the postseason year after year with 40-plus million dollars tied up in a in a center that isn't able to get his own shot. Yeah. And now he's like, okay, 
moving him, you don't move him just to move him, but to move him for this, Tim, this is an unprecedented return for a guy of, of Gobert's caliber. And people are saying he's like a top 20 player in this league. I just don't believe that. Like, I, I think, yeah, defensively he's a monster, but even on that end of the floor, he can be a liability at times against small balls. So to get this many unprotected draft picks for him and then a couple guys you can probably build up their value more and pawn them off somewhere else to get even more assets for the future. It's, I think, uh, the beginning of uh, quite the transformation here for the Jazz. You know, I said that Malcolm Brogdon was the second biggest name. I completely lied about that. I would say probably the third or fourth because the other one and the other monster move so far was DeJounte Murray uh, getting shipped uh, from San Antonio uh, to the Hawks. Bit surprising, I think, for a lot of people just that San Antonio was willing to make this move with you know, the term left on that deal. Obviously, they're they're tanking for the French big that I can't pronounce here that's going to be the number one pick uh, <laughs> next year uh, in the draft. But uh, DeJounte Murray going from Atlanta, uh, or go, excuse me, going from San Antonio uh, to Atlanta for 2023 first-round pick, 2025 first-rounder, 2027 first-round pick, a future pick swap, and Danilo Gallinari, who's getting waived by San Antonio, winds up in Boston, yada, yada. Atlanta gets uh, DeJounte Murray. So the question there, B-Rob, is does this put Atlanta, who two years ago was in the Eastern Conference Finals, right? They had a fringe all-star guy in DeJounte Murray to Trey Young. How do you like that fit, and do you think this puts Atlanta in the conversation here as a real threat in the East? No. First of all, I'd love to see the reaction in the Hawks' offices when they saw the the package for Brogdon. <laughs> the Suns gave up after they like, gave up. Whoops, yeah. <laughs> Wait, yeah. What? Yeah. One first-round pick and who? <laughs> Tice? <laughs> so you look at that, and you just think that, like, because to me, Tim, could could Malcolm Brogdon be a better player than DeJounte Murray, like, next year? No next doubt. Season? No question about it. Yeah, I mean, like, look, DeJounte put up stats uh, for a San Antonio team that I didn't think was very good. Um can't shoot the ball as well as Brogdon at all. And you look at that fit with Trey Young, too. Like, I think a lot of that production from San Antonio came from the fact that DeJounte was kind of running the show there. If he's asked to play off the ball, which I'm assuming he's going to do if he's playing with Trey Young, I'm not sure how his skill set necessarily molds with Trey's. That's going to be an interesting fit there in Atlanta. It seems like it was one of those moves where, oh, we have the ability to go out and get an all-star? Let's just do it and not necessarily think about the fit on the roster. And maybe they're looking at, especially with the Kevin Durant trade demand coming down, like, oh, would have been nice to have some of those first-round picks back because yeah. I think Atlanta would have been a team that you could – at least enough young, intriguing count out roster. He's like, okay, we'll give you a bunch of good, solid guys here and all our picks and give Brooklyn something to think about. Now you already got Murray there, so unless the Nets really love Murray and you're willing to flip him right away, like you're, you're pretty much taking yourself out of that equation. And then the other big move that we wanted to get your thoughts on as well, obviously Bradley Beal has been a name that we've been talking about uh, in Boston here for, oh, I don't know, about like since the minute that uh, uh, Jason Tatum was drafted by Boston. He signs the max extension there uh, in Washington. What do you think this means for his future and what does that contract for you look like as well? Do you think that that's good value for that type of player, or do you think that's going to make it a lot harder for him to move now uh, moving forward? It's just another albatross. It's a situation where guys like him, we were talking about for Zach Levine during the break here off the air, where these teams, these, these players are clearly seeing maximizing their earnings while they can, getting these five-year deals with their own team because that's the most they can get. 
And then if things go awry in a year or two, like, we'll just get out that way. We don't need to, like, go year to year here and then figure it out. So that's something where Beal is going to be in that position. Washington, you know, they, they shook things up. They made a couple trades here. But they're still going to be a borderline playoff team until further notice. So Beal, maybe in a year or two, will be looking to push himself off the door. But he'll be doing so while getting, you know, the biggest contract he could. And, I mean, I guess that's good for him. But if I were these teams, Tim, I would – think long and hard about like why am I giving why are you worthy of a five-year over 200 million dollar deal for your Bradley Beal I know we don't want you to walk away for nothing but I also don't think that's a type of deal he could have gotten on the market open market in the first place I, I think that's a great point by the way too when you kind of look at landing spots and who else is going to be willing to pay him that you know I think that kind of gives you pause and we've seen it time and time again with these franchises where they give out these monster contracts you just mentioned Levine Bradley Beal max level money to players that are nice, but I don't consider those building block true number one players on winning teams. And you kind of look at the way that Boston's done it here. Like you're giving out big extensions to obviously Tatum and Brown, but those are ascending players that you're hoping kind of grow into those roles. And they did, right? You know, Jason Tatum blossomed into a first team, all NBA guy, Jason Tatum, or J- excuse me, Jalen Brown here has turned himself into an all-star caliber player, there's a path there. If you're Washington, like, what's your path now to being competitive by handing out $200-plus million to Bradley Beal? That's why you said, too, like, I get it. You don't want to lose the asset for nothing. He is your franchise player. But giving him $200-plus million just doesn't seem like that's a good decision long-term, and I don't know how that gets you closer to a championship. I, I, I don't. So when you have those type of contracts, like Ainge with the monster Gobert deal, that's why I think what he did was so smart. And that kind of closes the blow on kind of what we're talking about here. Like if that player isn't going to help me win a championship, why am I paying him 200 plus million dollars? If there's no path there moving forward, getting five first round picks for Rudy Gobert. I do that 10 times out of 10. And the same thing goes for a guy like a Bradley Beal or Zach Levine. Good players, that's great. What are the ceilings for both Chicago and Washington moving forward? To me, that's not you're not talking championship. Second there. round. Yeah. If best case scenario, second round, I feel like for both of those teams with what they have to work with on those rosters right now. And so I mean, maybe these front offices are saying, Hey, we want to get these guys under long term deals, even if it, we are overpaying them because eventually we will get that monster offer for these guys. Yeah, that's but I fair. wonder if some teams around the league will start smarting up here and be like next couple of years, if, if this blows up in the face of Minnesota, right after giving up these picks, and obviously we've seen what happened, has happened in Brooklyn and a couple other places that have given away the farm for guys that you know clearly didn't work out, it's at, at some point or another, I think teams are going to wise up and be like, yeah, Bradley Beal is not worth that much money, and so I'm like, I'm not giving you much of anything for him. Right. Well, I and, and it's interesting, too, because the bill is going to come due. You're right. It kind of became a trend here over the last few years where, yeah, we'll give you as many first-round picks and pick swaps as you possibly want. Who cares? Just give us the superstar. You know, you look at teams like the Clippers. If that thing falls apart, they're screwed long-term. The Nets are going to go through this for the second time in 10 years where they're going to be screwed. It's just, yeah, at a certain point, you wonder if some teams start to wise up and go, you know what we're not going to do? Mortgage our future for half a decade for this one potential guy that, that may or may not get us over the hump. All right, 617-779-0985. See you guys lined up. Uh, You guys have questions for B-Rob. We're going to get to those on the other side. But first, Hub Headlines.